Earplay was a series of radio dramas that aired on NPR from 1972 to 1991. It featured original and adapted scripts by some of the most acclaimed playwrights of the time, such as Edward Albee, Arthur Colquitt, Archibald McLeish, and David Mamet. The series aimed to showcase radio drama as a distinct art form, using innovative techniques of the time, such as stereo sound, real-time production, and sound effects. On this track of your play, you're going to hear Girls of the Golden West by Anne Leeton. It's a play that's based on the historical accounts of women who lived and worked in the California Gold Rush. The play depicts the diverse and often challenging experiences of these women, such as minors, prostitutes, teachers, and activists. Hear play on Earloom Radio, a different kind of oldie show. I thank you for listening. possible by grants from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the National Endowment for the Arts. A series of contemporary plays for radio. Ear play. presents Girls of the Golden West by Anne Leeton. Leeton is a poet and a short story writer as well as a radio playwright and lives in Fort Worth, Texas. She became acquainted with radio drama while studying as a Fulbright scholar at the Free University in Berlin. Her radio plays have been broadcast in Europe, Africa, and Canada, as well as in the United States. She has been writing for Earplay since 1972. Girls of the Golden West by Anne Leeton. Once there were ladies, and the ladies would find, and the stories would pour, sweet as milk, fat as wine. The outlaw. In 19th century America, there was a very famous outlaw living with her band of men in the hills of Kentucky. Her name was Belle Starr. In an outlaw's dominion, a lily-white hand touched the sky, filled the earth, reached the heart of the land. Can you just wait a minute, Miss Starr? Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Uh, Miss Starr! Oh, well, Miss Starr! Yeah, who's hollering at me? Can you just wait a minute, Miss Starr? Oh, sorry, 
sorry, whole story. Oh. Excuse me, sir. Can I get by here? Now, just who the hell do you think you are? Thank you for waiting, Miss Todd. I appreciate that. Who are you? My name's Potter, Miss Todd. Hiram Potter. I'm a reporter from the Cincinnati Observer. What's he doing in my camp? Who let you in? I'm going to have to speak to my boys real firm about this kind of thing. Last month, they let in the newspaper picture man from St. Louis. Frank still got that clipping stuck in his shaving mirror and made even a good picture of it, makes him look simple. Oh, please, Miss Tarr, just give me a minute of your time. I've come all the way from Cincinnati on the train, Miss Tarr. I've still got cinders in my teeth. Look, I've spent weeks looking for this camp of yours. I never knew there were so many mountains in Kentucky. But but I don't mind. I don't mind all the pain and the hardship. Not if I can have a few minutes with the famous Bell Star, the most beautiful outlaw of the West. Well, follow that. They always told me I'd have to pay a high price for fame. So I said, Bill, if you're going to go around shooting up places and robbing trains and all like that, you ain't going to have a minute of private life. No, sirree, the public's going to clamor at your door once you get famous. She's right. You can have a minute of my time, Mr. Potter, but you got to make it snappy. We're working outlaws around here, you know. We ain't got no time to sit around jawing a lot. Oh, I understand, Miss Tarr. I, I don't intend to interfere with any of your criminal plans or nefarious routines or anything like that. Uh, look, would you just sit down here and make yourself comfortable? It'd be a lot nicer talking with you if you were both sitting uh, friendly-like, hmm? All right, now. I'm sitting. Get on with it. <clears throat> Good. Well, <clears throat> I, um... I guess it's no secret to you, Miss Carr, that you're the most famous woman outlaw in the 19th century. It's no secret, that's right. Well, what do you think of your present fame, Miss Carr? I mean, does it seem the public's been fair to you? You're not as famous as old, say, Jesse James. I'm the most famous woman, like you said. Uh-huh. That's good enough for me. After all, Jesse James don't have round, rosy cheeks and soft, sweet lips. That's true. <laughs> Uh, are you uh, keeping busy these days, Miss Starr? Uh, can I quote you on any recent banditry? The Robinson Bank, for example? Well, uh, let's see. The Robinson Bank. You could write that we was all very pleased with the way things went on at Robinson. The hall was real fine. And only that one little man got himself killed. Bill Starr is no murderer, Mr. Potter. Killing people always upsets me. So I was mighty pleased we didn't have too much that at Robinson. Mm-hmm. I see. Yes, I've got that. Now, go on, Miss Starr. Well, uh, today, earlier on this morning, we robbed the Macklinburg train and made off with a good deal of gold. I'm waiting right this minute for Frank to count it all up. He takes his time at figuring. I got better things to do than wrecking up gold. What better things, Miss Starr? The men depend on me. I'm the leader of the gang, you know. I'm boss here. Anybody who reads the newspaper would know that. What are your duties exactly, Miss Starr, hmm? as, as leader of the gang? Well, I, uh, no, Bert does that. Yeah, well, I look after the... Yes, uh, Mr. I just recollected that Buddy looks after that. Hey, Buck! You yeah. seen Frank you anywhere? make the decision, don't you, Mr. Get I sure do. I said to Harry, Harry's the cook, I said, three mornings a week we'll have grits and three mornings a week hoe cakes, and on Sunday mornings we'll have grits and hoe cakes. I meant important decisions, Miss Star. Oh. About what to rob and when to rob it. Well. Decisions like that. I make them decisions, too, of course. Did you decide to rob the Macklinburg train this morning? Well, no, I didn't decide that. That was Frank's idea. Oh. But as leader of the gang, you recognize a good idea when you hear it, right? Right. I'm smarter than the rest. Uh, do you have to approve an idea before the gang asks? Of course I do. I'm the boss of the gang. And so, of course, you approved of the robbery of the Macklinburg train. Well, not at first I didn't. I was away at the time visiting my old auntie. Well, then who approved the plan? Frank. Frank approved it. You mean it was Frank's idea, and he approved it all by himself, and no one else was consulted? Well, sure, somebody else was consulted. Billy was consulted, and Buddy, and Eddie, and Bert, and Buck over there. Were you consulted, Miss Dyer? Sure. 
was. When I got back from my old auntie's house, Frank consulted me. What did he say to you? He said, Bill, honey, what do you think about taking that old Mecklenburg train come Friday? And you said? I said, fine, Frank. Oh, you agreed right away. Well, at first I said I didn't think Friday was a good day. I thought that was too soon to ride again. I told him that Buck's shotgun wound was still smarting. Hey, Buck! Well, what did Frank say to that? He said, to hell with Buck. We can ride without him. You didn't need Buck, was that it? Well, I thought we did, you see. I said to Frank, Frank, Buck's the best gun we got in my gang. And? And Frank said he was the best gun for me not to be so damn silly. He said, Bill, you're getting skidgish new coat. Frank! Where the hell are you, Frank? So, in fact, Miss Starr, you, you didn't approve the Mecklenburg robbery. Well, sure I did. Of course I did. Frank convinced me it was a good idea. As the leader of the gang, it's my job to be reasonable and talk things over sensible like. And when I got done discussing things with Frank, I said to him, Frank, that's a real good idea. And then I went over and told the boys that I proved to rob the Mecklenburg train on Friday. And how did they react? Well, uh, they were busy cleaning their guns and drinking rye whiskey. You mean they weren't interested in what you had to say? Oh, well, not much. Miss Starr, if you don't mind my saying so, it seems to me that they don't show you the proper respect. Oh, I, I don't mind. They got things to do. I never butt in when my boys is getting their work done. Buck, though, he's kind of upset. He said to me, Belle, you ain't no more the boss of this here gang than I'm a two-toed turkey. That's pretty strong, right? And I said to Buck, anybody who reads the newspaper knows I'm the boss of this gang. Everybody knows I'm the most famous woman outlaw in the 19th century. I looked him square in the eye, and I said, real mean like. Trouble with you, Buck, is you can't read. <sighs> I'm astonished, Miss Starr, just astonished. Astonished? Astonished. It's perfectly clear that you are not the woman the world thinks you are. Well, well what, what, what do you mean by Frank that? Frank is the head of this gang. All these men around here take their orders from Frank. They don't pay any attention to you at all. You're, you're just a, a figurehead. Now, you take that back, Mr. Potter. You just take that back right at me. I wish I could, Miss Starr. Oh, well, you, you, you're going to print that in, in your paper? Then I'm a... Figurehead, yes, Miss Starr. I owe it to my readers to tell the truth as I see it. You should not say that thing about me, Mr. Potter. I wish I didn't have to, Miss Starr. The people will lose all their faith in me. Why, the people love me, Mr. Potter. They buy all them copies of your Cincinnati whatever it is just to read all about the things I get up to. I know that, Miss Starr. They'll be very disappointed to discover that the beautiful outlaw, Belle Starr, is not the real leader of this famous band of villains. I don't think they're going to enjoy reading about Frank. After all, he's just like Jesse James, isn't he? Hmm? No rosy cheeks. No sweet lips. Uh, now, don't you go being too hasty, Mr. Potter. Maybe we can work something out. Like what, Miss Donna? Like, uh, oh, you know... Uh, where'd you stay in, Mr. Potter? Excelsior Hotel in Spotsville. Excelsior, my, now that is a nice hotel. Frank and I have been to Excelsior many a time. They got feather beds and hot water time of the day or night. Why, I remember once, it must have been four o'clock in Would the morning. Would you like to get to the point, Miss Tarr? I believe you were saying that we might be able to work something out. Oh, yes. Well, Mr. Potter... What if I was to come to call on you some night at the Excelsior Hotel in Spotsville? We could have ourselves a real friendly little get-together. We could order up some of that real tasty Chinaman food they got and... Oh, oh. Have they still got that little man playing fiddle 
in the front parlor? They do. Nothing I like better than a little fiddle music, Mr. Potter. And all that hot water, Mr. Potter. Why, we could get up to a few things besides washing in some of that hot water, Lord knows. I guess we could have that, Miss Dar. It'd just be a real pretty evening, Mr. Potter, don't you think? You're not suggesting, are you, Miss Todd, that I'd allow my integrity to be led astray in exchange for just one friendly little get-together? After all, a story like this is worth more than just a few hours of your time now, isn't it? Ah, how many visits to the Excelsior Hotel did you have in mind, Mr. Potter? Oh, let's say twice a week for a month, Miss Todd. That would give me ample time to get acquainted with those round, rosy cheeks of yours. Not to mention those soft, sweet lips. I do appreciate the compliment, Mr. Potter, but you know we move around a lot. We're always escaping or something like that. I'm never in one hideout for a month at a time. What if he got sick? Well, yeah. Hey, what if you were to go over and stay with your old auntie until he got well? Oh, no. Now, now, she'd love the company, I'm sure, and then I could come over there twice a week and visit you. Mm-hmm. And in about a month's time, you'd recover your health and be good as new. A whole month away from my gang? Well, Lord, Mr. Potter, they think the sun gone down behind the mountains for good and all. It'd be like... It's me, Miss Dar. It's Hiram Potter you're talking to. Damnation. The cook already knows how many times a week to serve grits. You're a hard man, Mr. Potter. I'm just a simple reporter, Miss Starr, allowing my sense of justice to fly out the window. Now, if I'm going to make such a sacrifice as that, well, then I ought to be well paid for it. Oh, all right, then, Mr. Potter. I'll stay over with my landing for a month. I'll tell Frank I got the collar or something. And you'll print in your newspaper that Bell Star is, like always, the terror of Kentucky. You can count on that, Miss Star. My headline will be Reporter Interviews Famous Woman Outlaw in Her Kentucky Lair. Lair? Hey, I like that. That's a nice... Uh, and I'll lead uh, off with this. Bell Star, the beautiful woman outlaw, scourge of Kentucky and points west uh-huh. and south, rested in her camp Friday after the daring daylight robbery of the Mecklenburg train, surrounded by her dedicated men... Dedicated? Oh, you do have a way with words, Mr. Potter. <laughs> surrounded by the dedicated men of her band. Uh-huh. The ravishing bell counted up her gold pieces as she revealed to this reporter how pleased she was that there was only one fatality of the infamous Robinson Bank robbery of a month ago. I'm not a murderer. The outlaw queen I'm said. I'm outlaw queen? That sounds real good, uh, Mr. Potter. That sounds just about I perfect. thought you'd like it, Miss Star. <laughs> Why would I get through with this story? You're not only going to be the most famous woman outlaw of the 19th century, you'll be the most famous one ever. That's nice, Mr. Potter. I like that. Reputation is very important you know, especially to a woman. <laughs> Lord, there were ladies, and the ladies were grand, with their stories that echo the heart of the land. upon a time, Miss Lucy Makepeace, a delicate young maiden from the big city, discovered that she had become, through no fault of her own, 
fatherless. It is, alas, a sad and familiar tale from the old west. There's a stage now, Hank. Right on time. Yeah. Hey there, Elvin. How's everything going? Right as rain, Hank boy. Got a passenger in here for you. He knowed you had, Elvin. That's why me and Lukey's here. Let me give you a hand, ma'am. There she is, Hank. Oh, ain't she pretty? Yeah. Hey, you miss Lucy Makepeace, ma'am? That's right. You must be my late father's chief hand. Uh, Hank's the name, ma'am. And this here's Lukey. We're mighty pleased to see you, Miss Lucy. Oh, yes, ma'am. Even if you done come on a count. Yeah. yeah. We was real sorry about your pa getting yourself killed, Miss Lucy. It was that rotten old bastard, Kim Trade, who done it. So I understand. The marshal's looking into things, Miss Lucy. But it's real hard to get anything on old Kim Cade. Maybe we'll change all that. Right now, I'd like to have a bath and somewhere to refresh myself. Well, you can get yourself a bath over at the hotel, ma'am. It's about the only place in Rippling Springs where a body can wash. Well, then why is it called Rippling Springs? Ma'am? If there's no water here except at the hotel, why is the town called Rippling Springs? Is that some kind of local joke? Well, don't get your drift, Miss Lucy. It's not important. Show me the way to the hotel. That's better. Sorry I kept you boys waiting for so long, but yeah. I found that bath such a sensuous experience I couldn't give it up. What, what kind of experience? Shut up, Lukey. Uh, ma'am, uh, Charlie said he'd have a nice cool sarsaparilla drink for you quicker than you could breathe in and out one. Sarsaparilla drink? Why, don't be silly, Hank. Go and get me a straight whiskey. And while I'm drinking it, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about this Kincaid man who murdered my father. Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, straight whiskey? In a clean glass. Oh, uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, well, I'll be right back. Oh, my. <laughs> I, I, I just don't know. Why are you staring at me, Lukey? Huh? Haven't you ever seen a city woman before? Well, ma'am, I, I sure never seen no woman who drinks straight whiskey before. You mean the women in Whitland Springs don't drink whiskey? Not so as you notice it, Miss Lucy. <laughs> Still sipping cheap perfume from the local emporiums, are they? Well, that stuff's hell on the kidneys. Well? I'm surprised you've got any females left around here. Kidneys? Oh, well, never mind, Lukey. Sit down there at the table. You make me nervous standing around like that. Yes. Yeah, so... Here you are, Miss Lucy. Uh, straight whiskey. Thanks. Well, bottoms up, boys. Look at that. Oh, damn. Now, as I understand the situation, boys, Kincaid is trying to buy up all the ranches around Ripland Springs. Yes, ma'am. And the ones he can't buy for a pittance, he's taken outright. That's right. By simply killing off the owners and staking his claim to the land. Oh, you see this old Kincaid? Now, ostensibly, this is to establish a Kincaid cattle empire in this region. Uh This old boy thinks he's going to be the king. But, you know, there's a little more to it than that. A little more to it. Mineral deposits, boys. Huh? I checked reports from this area recently filed with the land surveyor's office in Kansas City. Mineral deposits? What's that mean? That means... Oil, possibly. Iron ore, copper, other several possibilities. Oh, and this old Kincaid... Wants to stake his claim to this whole area as well. Uh-huh. Now, if all the ranchers knew that they were sitting on a gold mine... Well, maybe they'd all band together and fight off Kincaid. But now, Miss Lucy... Oh, I... they'd never do that, ma'am. No, it's too oh. dangerous. They're likely to get themselves killed. Why, old Kincaid, he'd just soon put a bullet through your back and slide up one of them Havana Havanas. We'll have to get ourselves a little insurance against that, then, won't we? Insurance? Notices. Oh. Notices posted all over town attesting to my recent discoveries in Kansas City. Then I've written a letter. Well, here it is. Which I shall deposit with the marshal. 
and notarized copies of which I shall send to the governor of the territory and to the nearest newspaper. In the event of my sudden death, the question of murder should assuredly arise, and investigations should be directed towards one Jack Kincaid of Rippling Springs. Documents offering a motivation for this crime will be found in a safety deposit box under my name in the Rippling Springs Territorial Bank signed Lucy Makepeace Witnessed. Oh, I swear, Miss Lucy, you sure do write a fine lingo. I think that should be some deterrent to Kincaid. Meanwhile, let's have a meal, shall we? Yes, ma'am. Now, make mine a steak. Uh-huh. There, with asparagus tips on the side. Oh, and a nice Caesar salad and a nice dry red wine. Hey, that's her over there, coming out of the marshal's office. Mm. She just looks like any silly woman to me. Oh, she sure is pretty, huh? Well, she's maybe prettier than other silly women. Oh. Smarter too, boss. Hey, you know Charlie over at the hotel. He said she can read and write easy as a bird flies. And she drinks straight whiskey. Straight whiskey? Yeah. That kind of thing ain't becoming in a woman. It's a real coarse way of behaving. Yeah, and Charlie says she's got a real nest of temper, too. You know, like when he told her the other night that he didn't have the makings for no uh, Caesar salad and, and he didn't have no red wine. What's a and... Caesar salad? Well, I don't know, boss. Now, what's a salad as far as that goes? Oh, it's green stuff, I think. Like uh... green stuff? Oh, it's like a... Citified female... You learn soon enough to get down off a high horse and rippling springs. We don't go in for green stuff in these parts. You eat salt pork and beans, you like it. Green stuff don't firm up the muscles. Mm, but she wouldn't eat the meat that Charlie gave her. Was Leroy doing the cooking? Yeah, same as always. And she didn't like the meat? No, no. She she done said she ordered rare, and she wanted rare. We just danced the cow through the kitchen. That's what she said. Ignorant female. And when Malcolm told her that ladies don't smoke cigarettes, and he swears not in public parlors, you know what she said to him? What? She said she'd smoke anything she pleased, anywhere she pleased. And at Ripplin Springs didn't have no more idea of how things is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is real cause. Oh, no. Anything I can't stand, it's a female with no notion at all of how to act respectable. Well, that's exactly what Charlie said. He said well, she may be from a big city, but she sure ain't no respectable woman. I mean, sitting around like that with a straight whiskey and a cigarellas and laughing and talking right out like, like she was hey, like hey, she hey, was... Hey, hey. Where's she going? Well, she's going to the newspaper office, I think. Now, what would she be going in there for? Well, she reads and writes. A lot of folks read and write, but they don't go running to no newspaper office to do it. Oh, maybe she's looking for work, you know, writing work. Uh, something for the ladies, maybe. Mm. No, maybe she's going to run an ad. What would she be running an ad for? I don't know, boss. Anything I can't stand, it's reading and writing females. Lord knows that bad enough when they're just sitting around dumb as a stump. There's something else, too, boss. What? <laughs> you know, she takes herself a bath. Every day. A bath? Yeah. Charlie says that he can't hardly get nothing done over at the hotel these days because of toting hot water. A bath? Yeah, a bath. <laughs> what do you think of that, boys? Well, she'll find out soon enough what happens when you wash all that dirt off too quick and the sun gets to you. It just burns all your strength away. Gosh. Why, in two weeks, she'll be too weak to get a pretty little lily white body out of that bath there without old Charlie helping to pull. 
<laughs> and when she gets out of that tub all dripping and clean and sweet, yeah. oh, yeah. why, she's going to find out that somebody's made off with her old pappy's place slick as grease. <laughs> Poor little woman. Oh, yeah. And then she'll just have to turn right around and go on back east again, crying her pretty eyes out. Now, won't that be a sorrowful thing, Jesse? Oh, yeah. uh, why, it is clean heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, why, Miss Lucy, what's the matter, ma'am? I can't eat another mouthful of this slop, Hank. We're going to have to find ourselves a cook. we got to cook, Miss Lucy. Oh, Cannonball. Oh, he's been cooking for Has it ever occurred to either one of you why he's called Cannonball? Well, he was at Vicksburg. He used to run over to them big cannon with his little balls. Tomorrow, you two go over to Dry Gulch. Yes, ma'am. Now, that's a good-sized town. You ask around at the saloon and the different places about a good cook. But... And don't come back without one. But what about old Cannonball? Well, give him a month's wages and send him on his way. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry if you boys disapprove the way I do things, but if I'm going to deal with Kincaid, I have to have something to eat besides beans and cornmeal mush. Yes. You understand? Yes, um. Oh, I really think I should have stayed at the hotel. The food was inedible there, too, but at least there was hot water. Yes, ma'am. Oh, don't look so miserable, you two. Well, we're real sorry that you're so discontent, Miss Lucy. We we thought you'd like the old place. Your pa sure did love it. Oh, yeah, Miss Lucy. I, I recollect when we drove the herd up north. Oh, I, I think I'll go to bed now, boys. I do my best thinking just before bed. That's so. Now, me, I do my best thinking. Good night, boys. Uh, night, 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 Miss Lucy. Miss Lucy. All around town, everywhere I go. How do you know that, Bob? Because I see him, dummy. Everywhere I go, I see the same little fella at the hotel, at the saloon, over to the barber shop, at the blacksmith. What's he look like, boss? Maybe I've seen him, too. He's a little fella wearing eyeglasses, real thick eyeglasses. Looks like old Miss Pritchett's punch bowl. And he's got a mustache, bushy as a prairie dog's nest. Everywhere I go, there he is. Well, why do you suppose he's following you, boss? Who do you think he is? I don't know, but I don't like it. It makes me real nervous, like. Wouldn't hardly able to eat my supper last evening. My belly was just jumping and pumping. Doc Evans said I got a bad conscience. That's what the trouble oh, is. Oh, what's he know, that crazy old pill pusher? Why, lots of folks in Rippling Springs done worse things than you. My old man Carter. Oh. And what about George Smith? George Smith. I'm going to go to bed, Jesse. In the daytime, boss? Long about supper time. You give me a shake. Well, anything you say, boss. Hey, uh, Jesse. One more thing. Yes, what? That little fellow with the eyeglasses and the mustache, he wears a derby, too. Little black derby pulled down and setting on top of his ears. They're all over town, boss. Big signs like this tell all about the oil. Damn, I told you, boss. I said she was trouble when I first seen her, and I, and I said she was trouble, boss. Yeah, yeah, you said she was trouble. Now, shut up and let me think. Listen, hey, listen, boss. I, I, I got an idea. Well, you just breathe real easy, Jesse. Maybe it'll go away. Oh, no. Boss, okay, I'm... okay. What's your idea? Look, I'll go out to the make peace place one night, you see, and, and I'll wait a while until she goes out in a buggy of hers, and, and then I'll grab and then I'll hold gunny sack over her head, and I'll take her out to the canyon, and I'll drop her off. 
and won't be nothing like you've heard but one little bit of bustle so far down. <laughs> well, that'll look like bird dropping. Well, that's <laughs> a real fine idea, Jesse. Real fine. One of your best ideas. Oh, thank you, Bart. You must be the biggest damn fool in the whole territory. Oh, Bart. What course is going to do us to drop her into the canyon when she's already put up them signs all over town and let the damn cat out of the bag? Anyways, didn't that Biggs over to the newspaper tell us about that letter she left with him saying, I done her if she gets did? Oh, all right. You see, Jesse, you just don't think. You ain't never done a lick of thinking in your life. But it don't matter none, because you stand up and walk around real nice. Now, what I got to do is meet this Miss Lucy Makepeace. Meet her, but... Uh, did you mean, like, face-to-face like? Face-to-face Oh, what do you want to do that for, Bart? things get troublesome with a female, Jesse... You know what's the only thing to do? No, The only thing to do is to use your manly charm. Manly charm? Yeah, I read that once in a magazine. One of them Eastern City-fied magazines. Manly charm. That's what it said. You know what that is, Jesse? Well, no, boss. Well, you see all these here playing muscles I got from eating all that salt pork and beans and them good thick beef steaks that Leroy cooks up? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you give the little lady a big eyeful of your nice, firm muscles. And give her a big, slow smile. Kind of like this, see? <laughs> and you let her know that if she don't do what you say, you're going to break every bone in her little soft body. Oh, boss, I, I never knew that was manly charm. That's it, Jesse. You, Miss Lucy, make peace. I am. I'm Jack Kincaid. I want to talk to you. I'm busy, as you can see. You don't look busy to me. You look like you're just sitting there drinking whiskey and fanning yourself. Drinking whiskey and fanning myself keep me busy, Mr. Kincaid. What is it you want? Maybe we ought to go somewhere private. You can say what you have to say right here in the hotel parlor, Mr. Kincaid. It's too hot to stir. Anything I can't stand is being followed around by a little man wearing thick eyeglasses and a dirty. Would you prefer a tall man with perfect eyesight and a fedora? I don't want no man of no kind following me around. You hear that, Miss McPeace? The whole of Ripland Springs heard that, Mr. Kincaid. You think you're a real smart woman, don't you? Well, you're not as smart as you think, Miss Uppity. The second thing I can't stand is a woman who don't know her place. And where might a woman's place be, Mr. Kinsey? In the kitchen with the slops, that's where. Rocking babies in their little cribs, hoeing potatoes. Not sitting around hotels drinking straight whiskey, smoking cigarillos, and using up all the time water, washing herself like she was some dang fancy woman. Woman's got no business messing in the men folks' work. You mean rustling cattle and things like that? You got no business reading and writing things. Putting up signs all over town saying I'm some kind of bastard. Telling folks it's me what done you if you gets did. Next thing you'll be carrying a gun drawn on some poor fool. Are you finished, Mr. Kincaid? You see, these here nice, firm muscles I got. <laughs> Look here. You see this big muscle bulging up under my shirt sleeve? I see it very clearly, Mr. Kincaid. You know what I'm going to do with this big muscle in this big arm? No idea. If you don't see the error of your ways pretty quick, Miss Makepeace, I'm going to wrap this big arm around your pretty little neck, and I'm going to squeeze it till you turn it blue as old Mr. Carter's lips. Why, you won't do that, Mr. Kincaid. 
You'll be at the end of a rope in less than a month. You done me if I get did. Remember? Huh? You're just threatening me because it's the only way you know how to act, isn't it? I'm threatening you because you need threatening. I'm warning you, Miss Makepeace. If you don't tell that little man of yours to quit sticking to me like he was some dang cactus burr and poking into things and sneaking around asking folks questions and spying on me, I'm going to do something real ugly to you. Something real ugly, Miss Makepeace. Farewell, Mr. Kincaid. Well, now that's better. I'll call off my detective just as soon as you give back all the land deeds you stole and took under false pretenses and post a notice saying that you're not buying any land in this area from anyone. Oh, you're as crazy as a cow that's beneath local weed. Because if you don't do that, Mr. Kincaid, my detective would just go right on sticking to you like a cactus burr. The only place you'll be all alone is in the privy, and I wouldn't be too sure about that. He'll go right on investigating until he gets all the evidence he needs to convict you of the murder of Tom Makepeace. Why, I know... I know you killed my father, Mr. Kincaid, and you know it. In a short while, everybody will know it. My detective is a very highly thought-of man from Philadelphia. He never loses a case. If that's speed all. Well, Mr. Kincaid? All right. All right, I'll do it. I ain't gonna spend the rest of my days with this pesky little fella crawling all over me, bad-mouthing me all over town, writing down things in that little book of his. I'll give back the gall-dang deeds. When? This week, this week for sure. I'll have that in writing, if you please. Ain't I give you my word? The word of a murderer and a thief is not sufficient. With a heart of gold. In every saloon in the West, there was a pretty girl next to the piano or by the bar. In movies, she's the one standing at the shoulder of the seated gambler, hand on hip and a smile fixed on her face. My name is Ruby. I've been working in the Sundown Saloon for the last four years. For the last four years, I've been going crazy. This year, I'm going to get there. Hey, Ruby. Come on over here. Give us a kiss for a while. Oh, that's Jake hollering at me. He got a mouth like a bullfrog and a beard that smells like a dog died in it. Oh, I don't want to give him no kiss for luck. I don't give a hoot if he makes that inside straight he's drawn to or gets himself shot full of holes in the next ten minutes. Why, Jake, honey, you don't need no kiss for luck. That's just wasting pucker. <laughs> Tom, now, he got a weakness for romantic songs, like, when the cactus turns to flower, I will join you in the bowels. They make him think of his old sidekick, Andy, the one who got herself lost in the desert and dried up like a mud hole. When Tom found him, all his parts were still there, but he was. Flat as a buffalo chip. I don't know why romantic songs make Tom recollect Andy. That's something I never understand. Andy was about as romantic as a pig at trough. But every time I sing Silver Sage Bus in the Moonlight, Tom gets tears in his eyes and starts reminiscing about old Andy. There's one story he always tells. Oh, yes, dear Lord. If I do miss that old Andy. 
Why, me and him rode together for five, six years. <laughs> things we got up to. I recollect what old Andy said. Tom lets us go on into Morales and raise off the little hell. And I said, Andy, boy, is too dang late. I'm so tired I can't even smile to show teeth. Oh, Lord, we've been in the saddle for five days running. Well, he just laughed like he'd bust himself. And he said, Tom, you're going to feel like a new man once you get some whiskey down you and break yourself a couple of them tamale heads. Lord, Lord, I tell you. That old Mandy. What do you got? I mean, Why, he plumb tore up the place that night. Cantina looked like the U.S. cavalry rode to it. Old Andy got a hold of a couple of them red pepper seniorities, and my, they did holler and carry on. Oh, it was a nice, I tell you. Well, next morning, I said to him, Andy, they're going to have to rebuild Morales after what you done to it last night. He just smiled. Real contented like. And he said, well, I hope they get it all fixed up before we ride back this way. Because I'd sure like to roll over this little place again. Lord. Oh, Lord, old Andy. I'll never get you another sidekick like me. I sometimes think when the Lord made old Andy, he just turned around and broke the mold. Hey, Ruby. Yeah, Tom. You're going to sing me a song, ain't you? Keep your shirt on, Tom. I'm just waiting till I feel in real good voice. <laughs> then I'm going to sing you Ride Me a Trail with My Darling. Dancing, singing, toting, whiskey's giving kisses for good luck. Standing around, watching them play poker, saying, well, ain't you the lucky one. Or phoning and paunching over some fool don't know what ace from a mule. That ain't smells like he ain't washed himself since the first Gold rush in 49. They all come round and tell me about their hardship. Sometimes they cry a little when it's not for the two of us. They rest their heads on my bosom and say what a big heart I got. They say, Ruby, you must have the biggest heart in the West. And it's made of gold. <laughs> And I pat them on the head and say, well, not so big as you might think, and not so golden. I'm just like that big painting over the bar of that lady in her drawers and a shimmy. I just hang on the wall and smile. I got it. I have 25 years of it. I sundown saloon. I hate all these men coming and going all the time with their stinking beards and their dirty hands, shooting up the place and blowing off their mouths and bragging and yelling, and then coming upstairs with me and crying over their mamas, who was all, one and all, saints from heaven. But one of these days, 
I'm gonna up and leave. Somebody's gonna yell, give us a song, Ruby. And I'm gonna walk over to him, big as you please, and tell him I wouldn't give him the time of day, much less a song. And then I'm, I'm gonna march myself out that door and down that street and get into a buggy and ride off like I know where I was going. Even if I don't, I'll just ride my buggy till I get <laughs> to bring the land stopped. And I'll settle down there real nicely <laughs> and sit around recollecting how they all look like, like they were shot between the eyes, but hadn't fell over yet when I said goodbye and walked out them swinging door. And I wonder that poor soul it is now who's comforting them and kissing them for good luck and wiping away their big dirty tears. <laughs> and Christmas, I'm going to send them all a greeting card. And it's going to say, Ruby's gone prospecting. <laughs> For the gold in her heart. <laughs> and everything she finds, she's gonna keep. She sang for the cowboys, she stared in their skis. In a Texas saloon, Ruby slept with her dreams. The Lord, there were ladies, and the ladies. Were fine, and their stories were poor, sweet as milk, at his wine. The Pioneer Wife, Mary Jane Carruthers, salt of the earth, helpmeet and mother, farm worker and houseworker, from sunup to long past sundown, out on the western prairie. Morning, Mary Jane. Morning, Jim. How's little Jim this morning? A little more gold than yesterday. That's as it should be. I'm going into town today to get some nails and supplies. Fences broke bad on the west side. Bar needs patching. Them biscuits ready yet? I'll uh, stop into the saloon before riding back, so don't uh, look for me till half the sundown. You can uh, spade up that back patch when you finish your wiping. Woman, what a racket. I got the cookie pot. It just slipped out of my hand. And keep the goat out of the vegetables. I'll do it. Yes. Well, better get going. That's right, Jim. Time's a wasting.
Oh, there goes. I don't go today. Oh, there, see, like always. Oh, Unstoppable Smokey. Oh, the mountain's so high. Where the wild birds and turtle doves can hear my sound. Oh, the smokey. Along the bend, I see that old mountain. Chicken's gonna get my vegetables. Oh, you go out of here. Go on. There's some for all. Get on. Shoo, shoo. <laughs> get in there and eat them vegetables. Oh, I'll never see that old mound again, that's for sure. <laughs> Could have fell down by now, for all I know. There he goes again. I'll tell you they love you. Give your honey, dear Lord, a child be the death of me. Little Jim, he's just like his pa, that's sure. Everything his own way. He balls and hunts him a-running. He's got an empty belly and I give him the... Oh, shut up, little Jim. Just shut your face. I ain't gonna do for you just now. You're gonna have to wait. You're gonna have to learn how to wait. Now, where'd I put it? Oh, here it is. Oh. Now I'm just going to sit right down here and have myself a little refreshment. Just like I was Jim Crowther's this in the saloon. Oh. Hello there, Miss Allen. <laughs> I ain't seen you a month or Sunday. And there's Edith May Crowell. Well, how do you, Edith May? How's everything going out in your neck of the woods, though? Oh, well, I'm real glad to hear it. Yes, sirree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wilson. You cannot say the things to a lady. <laughs> you ain't the limit. Here, you can hold my hand. I'll let you do that. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm a married lady now. Well, I can't think who would have told you a thing like that. Me married. My sword. I got years of courting. and dancing and all kinds of pretty things to do before I get me a husband and settle down. Now, little Jim, I done told you. Oh, dear Lord, dear Lord. I got, I got, I got to speed up that back patch. Jim will want us to plant that tomorrow or the next day. If it comes in late, too many whiskeys under his belt. Oh, I got to hold that bait. One cut of butter. And the goats out there eating up the vegetables, the gold. And the, the chickens is eating up everything. Well, let them. Let them eat everything in sight. When they, when they get done with the vegetables, they can eat the house and the soup and that 
that pitiful little mite of morning glory around the front window. And, and after that, they can just chew and pick away the old cow and the mule and little Jim lying there for a sweetness crib. And then uh, if they still got a stomach for it, they can eat me up too. I just, I just lie right down and let them eat. Ah, I look, I look up at that old goat and join yourself, and I say to him, "Old goat, you're gonna eat up Mary Jane Carruthers. You better save her every mouthful, cause you ain't never gonna get nothing better than me between your teeth." <laughs> oh, Lord. there won't be nothing left when old Jim Carruthers gets home. Not a thing inside. No supper waiting, no fire and warm eyes. Just, just be that old goat no. and all them chickens standing around looking real plump and contented. <laughs> and Jim's gonna bust out crying and, and, and say terrible, terrible accusing things them chickens and that old goat. You awful critters, he's gonna say you. You done Ed Hope, my sweet wife, Mary Jane. You, you done to, took away my beloved girl, my dear sweetheart. <laughs> and every spring, you come down here, throw yourself down on the ground, and weep his eyes out. And in memory of his late beloved wife. By the back roads and borders, the state's out of life, filled with broken down dreams for a pioneer's wife. The sky of the earth reach the heart of the land. Girls of the Golden West by Anne Leeton. Jane Brody was heard as Belle Starr. Susan Long as Lucy Makepeace. Marilyn Murray as Ruby. And Susan Geppinger as Mary Jane Carruthers. Heard also in the cast were Ralph Bell, Mark Keller, Ray Owens, Denny Spence, Kendrick Wilson, and Alan Hamilton. Original music for Girls of the Golden West was composed by Lonnie Knight. The play was directed by Carl Schmidt and engineered by Marv Nunn for Earplay, the radio drama production center for public broadcasting.
possible by grants from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the National Endowment for the Arts. This is NPR, National Public Radio.